Fika with Anika. The word fika is used as both a noun and a verb and is derived from the Swedish word for coffee. The Swedish coffee break is a moment to literally leave work behind. Taken at three in the afternoon, it's not a strategy for multitasking or for fitting in another mini-meeting. It's a chance to relax in the company of colleagues or friends. The key is to pause your day. So, brew up some coffee, grab a seat, and embrace Fika. Welcome to another episode of Fika with Annika. I'm sitting here with uh, two old friends, uh, Patty and Leland Barrett. Uh, they're Anza residents, and I don't know how long you've been up here, but I think a long time. 17 years. Yeah. 17 years. That qualifies you as yes. being old-timers <laughs> up here. Um, and uh, I bumped into Patty the other day, and she was telling me uh, about chef's knives and cutlery. And I said, you know what? We just don't know enough about that. <laughs> so I'm really glad that you came in. And Thank so, you. It's good uh, to be here. So with that said, um, what... What's your interest in knives, and and what ha what happened? Why you know why are you at that level that you're at? It's been a very interesting time. Uh, originally, it started. We were talking about cooking. It started with culinary classes at UCLA. They offered uh, Chinese cooking for one year, and I took it uh, with Madame Wu, who owned a many-storied Chinese restaurant in downtown LA. And the second year with the French cooking. And then I think they deleted the whole program, which is too bad because it's good to have, uh, especially at UCLA, something people are doing together like that. It was a lot of fun. But the knife part came in because Lee and I both came from cooking families. Uh, he had, uh, at the Metropolitan Hotel, they had Delmonico's and they had lots of good food. His family was said to have about 300 pounds of person per member of the family because of Delmonico's. I don't know if it was quite that bad, but they were heavy duty people. Right. And uh, now he has Alice Waters, who is his cousin, and uh, she's now. Uh, more interested in vegetables and eating salads for lunch. She's away from the meat part of it quite a bit. And uh, with the German knives, you concentrate a lot on meat. And they're heavy-duty knives. We had those in, within the family uh, for many, many years. And we loved them. The balance was good, but uh, when they started to kind of fall apart after 50 years of marriage, I started looking for uh, replacements. And at that time, I replaced several with uh, Japanese knives. They were beautifully made. You do have a lot more work involved, but they are well-made, well-balanced, and cut very well. They are very sharp. And they're only sharp on one side, so you don't have to worry about the entire knife. Um, I particularly liked being able to uh, cut different vegetables in certain shapes. That's something that the Japanese have always been interested in. And they have different types of knives. They have uh, the prep knife, which is uh, something that is 
beautifully made and able to cut more intricate patterns. They have certain patterns that are in the Japanese culture that they really love to have on plates and very little food sometimes on the plate. But uh, it works out very well as far as the presentation goes. And uh, they do have some meat. There's a lot more beef now in their diet than had been. But they, if they're having some sort of meat, it would be uh, fish more than anything else. Okay. And uh, the filleting and all that has to be done with a special knife. Basically, they have uh, a paring type of knife, a chef knife, and uh, a slicing knife. And the Japanese do very, very well with all of that. And it's become more popular here with the uh, sushi and the sashimi type of diet. It's uh, more healthy than a lot of the food that we see. And uh, the problem is uh, taking the time to take care of their knives because uh, there's a uh, person that handles knives for the Shun Knife Company, and he's on YouTube all the time, and he emphasizes that every time you use it, you have to clean it well and uh, consider sharpening it again to hold that beveled edge. And uh, basically at the end of the day, he suggests going back and doing the same thing to all of the knives. Well, that takes a lot of time, and I'm not sure most Americans can do that. <laughs> but uh, with the Henkels and uh, some of the other knives, uh, you can sharpen them once every four months, and they usually will hold their shape and their, uh, they will be sharp. But the uh, Japanese knives, you really have to take care of a little bit more so they don't have a chip or uh, a blade injury. You just don't want that. So, If you do have a, a chip, is discard the knife then? Or? No, that you can have it repaired. But, uh, and that's the other part of it. They uh, have wet stones that you have to keep with the knives and you just kind of curve it around and uh, sharpen it until it disappears. But um, a lot of times you do, sometimes you do have to throw them away. That is the problem. The Japanese knives have a special handle that's supposed to be comfortable because they will use their knives for hours at a time. whereas. Uh, most Americans are going to try to get the job done right. quickly. You if, chop your onion and your in your right. beef, and that you're done. That's right. Right. And, and then we just throw it in the drawer. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Not with this. <laughs> well, well, I've I've seen uh, knives, and they're typically behind glass and, and under lock and key. That's right. When you go to purchase them, oh, so yes. yeah. 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 I went recently to Williams Sonoma. Everything was behind a glass case. And unfortunately, the people didn't seem to know about the Japanese knives. They did take special care. You can't just buy one and walk home and think that you're going to be able to use it correctly because they take <coughs> a lot more care. So, But they're well balanced oh, in yes, the hand. Oh, yes, heavy, heavy. Yeah. Just like the German ones are, they're balanced and uh, heavy. The ones I've seen have a metal handle. It's like, it's like the, whole, the blade and That's the handle. That's exactly right. Right, so they, they're not using the, the German style where there's no. the tang and... Right, right, right. right. But uh, there's so many different Japanese knife companies now, and of course the Chinese are getting into it too with a lighter type of knife that might be more maneuverable and maybe uh, a little more easier to use, but we will see. Hmm. It's all new. 
<laughs> now you mentioned the whetstone too. I, yeah. I I think there's different grades or that's right. And you should have three different grades. And one of the the last grade you use is just for taking off the powder that might have accumulated on the knife while you were cleaning it. I mean, that's how precise it is. You, you don't want anyone eating the powder. <laughs> so, right. and then they suggest a rag at all times, so like a wash rag, a small wash rag to clean it off and uh, put it away for the, the night. It's really amazing. It, it's almost terrorizing when you think about trying to keep it that clean. <laughs> right, but it's an investment and yes, as, a, right. as a cook you know the, the value of having a sharp knife. There's that's nothing right. more frustrating than not. having something that's not going to cut through your tomato. That's exactly right. Yeah. They have one that's precisely made for a tomato. So. Really? Yes. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> but this kind soul has actually been carving and slicing for a lot of events and we're, he has a lot of experience and those are mostly with uh, Sheffield, the English type okay. of knife. And, uh, but he has been very helpful. For, we have large groups of people sometimes with the reenactors and yes. uh, so he's been very helpful with that. So do you find there's a big difference between the uh, the English, like the Sheffield, or the or German? Yes. Uh, the Sheffield is lighter. Uh, I think they're maneuverable, and uh, but um, they also are more delicate, too, so that they're between the handle and the blade, sometimes there can be a problem. I've had that problem with my older German ones, too, though, so, and it may be just me, I don't know, but, but uh, you do have to be careful about the handle, and uh, if they're rivets, uh, you need to make sure that they do not get wet, they should never be in a dishwasher, but, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to, when you're having a bunch of people, sometimes one of them will, be placed in a dishwasher or in the water too long and that's not good for them at all. Right, so. or using the wrong cutting surface that's too. That's right, that's right. So what's your preferred cutting surface? Uh, well, I still prefer wood, but okay. uh, and you're not supposed to use ceramic or uh, glass with any of the Japanese knives. It's bad for the ceramic and it's also bad for the knife, it chips. They're, the Japanese knives look hefty, but they're also fragile as far as keeping the edge. It's uh, something you just have to be aware of. Right. Right. So I did have a question. So using the whetstone versus a uh, uh, what do you call it, steel or? Oh yes. Right. Right. So uh, do you have to soak that? Is it called a whetstone for a reason? You do. Yes. Uh, to soften it up and also so it's easier on the knife when you're starting up. So Is uh, it an oil, mineral oil, or do you use no, water? Uh, water, yes, sorry, okay. warm water, and you can put soap in it originally depending on the knife, uh, but because uh, you don't want the flavor uh, of the soap getting into the knife, so okay. yes, it's very interesting. <laughs> uh, uh, All right, go ahead. Um, I'd like to add that we have uh, a, a fair amount of entertaining in our home up in Burnt Valley. We do uh, some movie work for the History Channel, say for example, costume period movies and uh, historical reenactment. 
with the principal focus being on the Napoleonic era and uh, earlier, uh, going back as far as the uh, late Renaissance, that is to say the English Civil War. Uh, so a part of that, uh, we've had as many as a hundred people staying on our property for the weekend. They stay in period correct tents with period correct costumes and um, we have a fair amount of uh, banqueting and uh, partying. Uh, we have a stone cabin that is known as a, the cantina uh, and that's a great deal of fun but as far as the dining goes we do have uh, a Santa Maria barbecue plus the the regular fire pits and, and uh, rotisseries and the like. So, so let me stop you. What is a Santa Maria barbecue? What is that, a Santa Maria barbecue? Santa Maria barbecue is a, a specialty type of uh, Central California uh, cooking of, of beef. And it's done on a... a a large type of uh, barbecue with an elevating grill uh, that can be adjusted. Uh, usually the cut would be... Uh, Tri-tip. Tri-tips. And That's good. Uh, there's a specialty rub for it. Uh, we use uh, Suzy Q. Uh, Q, which is a, a traditional Santa Maria uh, uh, spiced salt and it's, it's, it's very very good uh, initially the meat is uh, cooked at a low level of the griddle and then it's raised and then smoked for hours afterwards and it becomes very very good obviously the carving of this is a, a major part of it and so a good knife assures a, a clean, precise, non-furry cut, you know, and, and so that, that the, the presentation of the meal and, and the, it's, the way it's cooked works, uh, works wonders and it's absolutely delicious. Uh, but we do use a fair amount of cutlery as a result of that and uh, in the process of doing that, that's how we learned a lot about the knives. Patty referred to the early family uh, restaurant business and it was associated with Delmonico's next door to the Metropolitan Hotel, which my family, uh, it was their, their hotel chain. Uh, and that also included, the, they started up the Palace Hotel in San Francisco. So there's a very rich uh, culinary history there and uh, very food oriented. Um, Patty mentioned uh, Alice Waters, uh, that's Chez, Chez Panisse in uh, Berkeley, which is a famous, uh, oh, I, I, I think I would describe it mainly as a very natural, very fresh food. Alice buys the food that, that day and it's cooked right from the field, which interestingly enough here in Anza, we have a facility for that at Sage, uh, 
Sage yeah. Farms. Yeah, Sage Mountain Farms. Yeah, and they yeah. and they they pick the food right into the field, and we take it home and cook it. And so, boy, we can actually do restaurant style cooking here in Anza. It's it, it's it's mm -hmm. kind of they can, amazing. They carry cuts of meat also and sausages. Oh yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah. So they raise their own beef and chickens and hogs. Oh, for so yeah. yes, but just at, next time you go to the farm stand, just ask I for it. Yeah. yeah. Just great stuff, and it's a huge amount of fun. Um, we do have uh, other food sources in uh, Temecula. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, Patty's particularly fine to Barron's for the meat. Okay. And uh, Market 88 for the Asian. It's a huge Asian supermarket. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. I not Barons though. Yeah. But, so I'll make sure to. It, oh, yeah. Highly recommend that one. That one and another one. That another source for uh, food is uh, uh, Campini's in. Uh, it's an Italian market and deli on Jefferson and Temecula, and. Uh, some of our Italian friends have been in there and said this is this store is more authentic than what you find in a lot of Italy. <laughs> so we're blessed with extremely good sources for food, but but we're, you you still have to cook it. So yeah, that, but that's, it's a, but it's a joy when you have the right tools. Oh yeah, you know right. with, with the right ingredients, cook, the right, right tools, the right recipes, the <laughs> and so Patty's focus really is on more on the famous chefs and their book and how to, so she just That's does true. it by the book, it comes out fantastically. <laughs> and it's fun too. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know much about knives other than I know that, you know, I, I've tried to sharpen them myself and haven't been successful, so I have a friend who, who knows how to do it and he, he does it for me. Uh, but uh, pots and pans are a big thing for me. I like to have, you know, oh, really absolutely. good ones. Yeah. Fika with Anika. The Holy and Cranston fires left the hill slopes and mountains next to homes in Temesco Valley, Lake Elsinore, and Idlewild areas scorched with little ability to absorb water. This means that scattered thunderstorms can result in debris flows with little to no warning. Debris flows are fast-moving, deadly landslides. They are powerful mixtures of mud, rock, boulders, trees, and sometimes homes or vehicles. Debris flows move faster than a person can run or drive, and they do not always stay in waterway or roads. Riverside County and city officials urge everyone near the Holy and Cranston fire burn areas to take the following steps. Be prepared to leave before any flow begins. This is the only safe time to leave before roads are closed. If debris flows, mud or water are already flowing, get higher than the flow, such as going to the highest floor in your home. If you have active flooding occurring inside your home or feel you're in imminent danger, dial 911.
Attention Mountain residents. Recognizing community needs in the age of technology, the Anza Electric Cooperative is partnering with the Riverside County Information and Technology Department and Anza Community Broadcasting KOIT to distribute refurbished desktop computers for free to income-qualified residents. These desktop computers come loaded with Windows 10 and Home Office. If you're interested in seeing if you or your family member qualifies, the applications are available online at anzaelectric.org, at the Anza Electric Cooperative Front Office, at Lorraine's Pet Supply, and in the box outside of the KOYT station. Once you have filled out your application, it can be scanned and emailed to fundraising at koyt971.org. It can be mailed P.O. Box 391-229, Anza, California, 92539, or handed in at Lorraine's Pet Supply, the co-op office, or in the mail slot at the KOYT station. KOYT LP Anza, your public radio station. Welcome back to Fika with Anika. The one thing I learned um, when I got divorced is uh, that I wanted to have good utensils oh, yes. uh, to cook with, and so sure. I invested a lot of money in my my pots and pans, and you know, oh. that's and they last forever. Uh, th- absolutely, yeah. yeah. As long I as you don't have it on high, yeah, you know, keep right. things on medium. Don't you don't have to put it on high every time. I love so my I'm, stob pans, and just wonderful. Um, those came from Williams Sonoma too. I bought only three or four of them, but I love them. They're just such a heavy pot. Now, it may not have been a wise choice at the time, but <laughs> because they're so heavy, but I do love them. I have the paella pan, uh, a wok, uh, a regular uh, stew pot from okay. them. I just love those. Really love them. I've but learned to, to love the uh, the enamel cast oh, iron. That's right. That's and are. those are a fortune, so whenever oh, I yes. can find something at a garage sale, yeah. I'm grateful. Yeah. <clears throat> Even if they have a chip or two, I still oh, still right. enjoy them. That doesn't harm anything. No. We, uh, uh, speaking of cast iron, we do a lot of the camp cooking over tripods in costume. And uh, they have the giant cauldron, you know, the Darn witch's legs. kettle. and. Uh, various uh, uh, Dutch ovens. The uh, Dutch oven we we use a lot is the one, uh, maybe a, a 12 inch one, with the the raised rim on the lid. That, interestingly enough, was specified by Napoleon in order for so the army could bake bread, and they would do it in these little Dutch ovens with. The coals lumped on the upon the top of the uh, the lid, so the the raised rim ones are actually very important, and we we use them a lot. Um, and I always thought of them as cowboy utensil type things, but but you're saying not, it goes back even further. Oh than yeah, that. yeah, yeah, sure it does. Uh, speaking of the cowboy thing, uh, we bought at a local swap meet here. A uh, rather dilapidated uh, large box that turned out to be the rear end kitchen of a chuck wagon. What? So it has it's lined with uh, sheet <laughs> sheet steel, 
and that's the food safe in it, and then it has the folding preparation table with the little drawers and the, the, the whole deal. So we actually use that. Uh, it's kind of kind of cool, but um, not a fit, fitted to a wagon. But, <laughs> I can only imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> what a find at the swap meet. Seriously. $40. The, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a actually an early American collectible. Of course, it must have sat in somebody's barn for some yeah. time. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah. oh yeah, those things were removable from the wagon, so that, but um. it's very clear what it is. Uh, that's kind of fun. And then, uh, then another thing we use is a, a modern-day equivalent to that, which is a, a nearly identical. It's a Swedish Army field kitchen. Uh, and it uh, that, that's, we got it a war surplus uh, sale, and uh, so we use that a lot too. But we try to keep the period cooking as authentic as possible because occasionally the History Channel or somebody else will be filming, and the producers will say, we have no idea of how Napoleon's soldiers would march into camp, fall out, clean their guns, and uh, prepare a meal. So, you guys do it, and we're just going to film it, and then they fit that into the movie. They did the same in the movie The Last of the Mohegans, which some of our people were in. They were the British Redcoats. So, uh, uh, right, you just touched loosely on the fact that you do reenactments. Yeah. So when you say your people, are these... Uh, uh, club, club members. Club members, okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's a, a ver variety of different clubs. There's the uh, Crown Forces of, of America. There's a, a spin-off of the Sons of the American Revolution. They do the American Rebel Revolutionary War. We do... Um, we actually focus mainly on the Napoleon's army, and they love to film... Napoleon's war in Spain. Well, my property 200 years ago actually was Spanish crown pro property, so it's not that <laughs> much of a strip, a stretch. Our little valley looks very much like Spain, so they can pan the camera around about 270 degrees without seeing anything modern. So there's a pretty free reign on that. Um, our particular club we're affiliated with that does that is Brigade Napoleon which was founded initially to do the Waterloo reenactment in Belgium, uh, and which we were actively participated in. We do have uh, a horse, an equestrian group, it's called the, the War Horse uh, Society, and they, uh, they, they're, they're largely uh, young women who are stunt riders that are dressed up in Napoleonic soldiers uniforms, and they do a battle, it's kind of Hollywood because they use rubber swords, but boy, they really go at it, and uh, of course the, the sword <laughs> sounds are dubbed in later to be steel on steel, so uh, they can get maybe a dozen horses or so, and then Margie, one of the directors of the War Horse, uh, is a CGI person, in Hollywood, in, or well, Burbank, uh, and uh, she can do the CGI deal, turning 
12 riders into 40. So it's oh, absolutely yeah. awesome. They did a, 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 a major event at 2015, which was the 200th anniversary of the Battle of Waterloo, and they portrayed the English uh, Royal Scots Greys, which are the impressive unit, but they do wear bearskins and have monster swords. They were supposedly being mounted on greys, but they couldn't find any greys, so the Hungarian government s stepped up to the table with uh, 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 and mounted them all on uh, on Hungarian Lippenzoners. Well, this was beyond anybody's wildest dreams. It was just, you know, stunning. Beautiful Absolutely horses. stunning. And from a distance, they look like the greys. The real deal. Wow. So, uh, but those, those uh, some of the European battles are, are enormous uh, reenactments. I was at uh, uh, Auster Austerlitz in Moravia, when, which is in the present-day Czech Republic, uh, and there were 5,000 people in a snow battle, and uh, we uh, got some spectacular pictures of that. Got shot at by the Russians who inadvertently failed to withdraw <laughs> a, a, a ramrod and that whistled over our heads but beyond that it was nothing <laughs> oh my goodness yeah. Wow. yeah wow so you traveled all over the world to do your oh yeah very it's very not much just so. here in yeah yeah and um another one was a snow battle at jena in saxony and uh, that was a great deal of fun uh but we were in the snow and ice and the re German reenacting sergeant was screaming at his recruits, and uh, the snow got deeper, and the screaming got louder. And Patty just said, "Lee, I'm out of here." She uh, <laughs> went and joined her girlfriend in uh, Tuscany, uh, who's another foodie. So they, they they we had a wonderful time. Yeah, they had a great <laughs> time, but uh, we we soldiered on. Yeah, <laughs> good for you. Yeah. Oh my God. That sounds really fascinating. My God, we could uh, probably talk about this for hours. I think well, we have more stories. Yeah, we and do. We, we actually do. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the other uh, groups that were affiliated with is the San Diego Maritime uh, Museum, and we're the uh, uniform presenters aboard HMS Surprise, Russell Crowe's Master and Commander movie. Yeah. And so we're the Royal Marines and sailors and the whole deal. And we, we do the full period deal on that. And so there, there's quite a bit of photo, photography involved with that. But when we're not acting it out, we do, uh, we're the actual presenters uh, of, for the ship. And as a, a former naval officer and an owner of a a uh, 50-foot schooner, we, which Patty and I lived on for a decade, uh, we're actual sailors, deep deep water sailors, so uh, we could we could present that, but uh, a lot of the other people there are come from either military background or uh, educational background, and so the city of San Diego stages the Festival of Sail 
and they have a sailing ship battle and the whole the whole deal. But they also have uh, some cannons that they fire off that are American uh, Civil War twelve pounders. They're they're actual National Heritage guns, and uh, so we shoot them off. Uh, but this is all part of a state-licensed cannoneer group that, you know, and it's a very, very uh, safety-organized. Organ, or, yeah, or you oriented. have to get a license. Uh, okay. So is, is, is it somewhat scripted then? Yeah, oh, yeah. it is. And it, so yeah. who, do you provide your own uniforms, or is there uh, a wardrobe? We do. You have they, some. Yeah, yeah, we do, because we use them well, for other, other things. They, they, expensive hobby you have. Uh, well, it... It, it, it's rather complex because uh, a lot of the guys have to sew their own uniforms, either that or pay some unif uh, European uniform maker a thousand dollars for a coat. Uh, the, we, we, do, we do make things because we're, it's done to an incredibly excruciatingly accurate level of um, replication and uh, the stitching, actually, we have to learn how to stitch. In the museums where we look at the Napoleonic 200-year-old uniforms, you would look at the seams and say, well, that's a, a sewing machine. No, no, it is not. They didn't have a sewing machine. It hadn't been invented yet. That is the way they did it. Very, very fine, you know, fine, fine stitches. Cold winter nights. What else can you yeah, do, right? Yeah, sit, sit and stitch and, and mend and darn. And so right. we have the original army patterns that are reprinted for us. And uh, interestingly enough, for the Royal Marine coat, which I made for myself because I couldn't buy one, uh, we have cloth from the original mill that provat that made the cloth for the British Army 200 years ago. It's unchanged. It's the, same, it's the real deal. And the buttons are um. exactly so. Hollywood loves to zoom in on details on our stuff. Um, as I, I mentioned earlier, say, say, uh, the last of the Mohegans, but Saving Private Ryan. Typically what, is, is another one, typically what they do is they have the extras in the background, the reenactors in front of them, talking with the actors, and Hollywood focuses on the the reenactors and the actors, and the, the rest of it's just sort of a distant blur of redcoats. So that's kind of the way they, they do it. But they, uh, they realize that we're hobbyists that have studied the period drill, the body language, the way you walk, the way you talk, the whole deal. And... Um, and so, the producers say, well, do your deal. We're, we're, we're just going to film it. And they, they, then they put it in. We, so we never know exactly what is, how it's going to be. And all, all of a sudden, you're looking up at the silver sand. Oh, my God, there's me. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'd be able to recognize you in some of these Well, oh, uh, sort of. Okay. You know, I mean, we're, <laughs> it's kind of costumey. So you, and earlier on, of course, in the American Revolutionary War, the British are all still wearing wigs, you know, so it's kind of hard to... Oh, of course, you had yeah. to... Okay. Yeah. But uh, a young woman 
in a Napoleonic uniform by the time the makeup department's done could make look like a really tough young soldier. <laughs> and they're, they're good at it too, you know, they, they do the stunt thing. And, but are, are there it, any size requirements? Like, I mean, obviously, you know, the French people and well, that what age. they do is they, right, they kind of match true. match them, but they don't. You know, it, I think they can sort of. Because you're pretty stately. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, they they do that, but a lot of it is Hollywood magic, you know, and they they take it from there. But uh, riding these Lippenzoners in battle, these these ladies have these tall bearskin caps that are about 18 inches tall and riding with one of those wielding a giant sword is no small feat. They're good at it. They're very good. But they do it in precise formation. It's, you know, this is a military operation. It isn't a, a, a Wild West free-for-all. And like you, you mentioned earlier, you said that they're hobbyists. Yes. So, I mean, talk about dedication. Right. Well, that, that's their that's their thing. I mean, we're we're just totally into it. But well, it's I imagine fun. it's like being a dancer. You enjoy going out on a Saturday yeah, night. Yeah, there's that, and dance, and, so. and there's, you know, the weapons are all period replicas. Some are original, but um, I think you know the way it sort of shakes itself out is some people are horse people, some people are weapons people, some people are costume people. Um, and some people are food people. That's so, right. I was going to say. So there's sort those. of a niche for everybody. So is this anything like a Renaissance fair? Yeah. Type of well, world? actually, some, some of them are. Uh, we have the Ren Fair people, the <coughs> organizers, at least three times a year. They're so much fun. They really are. And but it's these really are the it. pretty uh, dedicated ones that have the armor and the whole deal. Yeah. So they're they're totally into it. One of our guys does the. Uh, uh, he's a very highly regarded uh, maker of Hollywood masks, like for Star Wars and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of talented people, yeah. and we try to draw on their individual talents and encourage everybody to do their thing. And everybody, as a result, everybody has, has a pretty good time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Right. Well, how lucky are we that we, you know, that you've got your property that's just the right setting for well, your that, type of reenactments, and yeah, and that you can, you know, use your culinary skills. That's you know, right. Oh yeah, and yeah. entertain the troops and very true. Well, yeah. we moved up from the uh, the beach. Patty was a Manhattan Beach school teacher, and I, uh, we, well, we lived uh, at uh, in Hermosa Beach, and uh, we had a delightful life there. It was just too crowded. But it, it got a little claustrophobic. Yeah, we possibly good. might have overreacted by buying a small valley in Burnt Valley. <laughs> but uh, it, it was a natural response to the, the, the city. And uh, we've loved it. We've just had a wonderful time being here. So beautiful. Different seasons. I prefer fall right now. Right. And summer's just way too hot right now for a for well, me. it's certainly not like yachting on a 55-foot no. schooner. No, it's a different, so, no, it's a different, a different, different world, lifestyle. totally yeah. different world. But that's okay, too. Uh, wow. That possibly was too much fun, but uh, <laughs> I, I, we have fond memories. Great yeah. people. Good good times. Yeah. All right. 
Well, with that, I'd like to invite you both back into the studio again another time. Okay. We can sit and, and spend some time and and uh, talk more about uh, these fascinating um, things that, that you. you're, you're talking about. I had I know nothing about the reenactments, and I know really nothing about yielding a, a chef's knife other than you know <laughs> that I can I can chop onions. So yeah, so I'd certainly like to bring you both back in Thank again and, and get deeper into the subject again. Thank you. Good stuff. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. We're, we're, okay. we're, we're more than more than well willing to be available. Uh, we have a lot of other things to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure uh, that you do. Have I ever talked about the steam locomotive? We'll, we'll save that for another... We'll save that for another one, <laughs> yes. another time. Now, if anyone has any questions for my guests, you can email programming at koyt97.1 Excuse me, it's programming at koyt971.org Put FICA, F-I-K-A, in the subject line and, and your question in the body of the of the text, and we'll get back to you with with your answers the next time our guest is in the studio. Now, by chance, do you happen to have? Uh, are you on Facebook, or you? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, boy, <laughs> Not, oh boy, oh boy, oh okay. boy! She got hacked, and she got uh, she's off Facebook. Well, yeah. she's okay. So, so people. No, she actually still on there, but uh, barely, uh, barely. barely. So then we we won't say any way of getting in touch with you no. other than. Then addressing the thank questions you. then. Yeah. Okay, I appreciate good. that. Good. All right. Thank, well, thank you. you. Have a happy day and yeah, thank you for being are. thank you for being part of FICA. Fun stuff. I love it. Love it. Thank you for joining us for this week's Cup of Fika with Anika. Tune in Wednesdays at 3 p.m. and a replay on Sundays at 1 p.m. If you have any questions or comments for me or my guests, please send an email to programming at koyt971.org and put FICA in the subject line. Enjoy the rest of your day.